This is Help Wanted, the show that tackles all the big work questions you cannot ask anyone else. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, Editor-in-Chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. And I'm New York Times bestselling author and money expert, Nicole Lappin. The helpline is open. Do you ever feel like you can't get everything accomplished? I sure do. I, I will tell you that as I record this right now, I am coming off of like three calls and half accomplishing a bunch of stuff that was on my to-do list and then running downstairs and wolfing down cold Thai food from last night because it was the only time that I had lunch and the only food that I could get into my body fast enough and then running up to do this podcast and then I got a million other things and anyway, whatever. That's boring because you are just as busy. We're all busy. Isn't it annoying when people complain about how busy they are when you're like, yes, I am busy too, but here it is that I did it because I'm trying to tell you that there is a solution. And the solution is not to add more hours to the day because that is not possible. We obviously can't do that. But we can think a lot smarter about how we manage that time and about how we perceive that time. And so uh, what I'm going to do on this episode is share with you four things that I think about a lot, that I've heard, that I've ingested, that I use to guide me as I try to do as much as I do so that you can do as much as you need to do. And here is the first one. It is this. Take on the mountain. If you want to know how to get a lot done, you should ask an extremely busy person. And there is perhaps no one busier. Oh, fine. Everyone's just as busy. But anyway, she is busy. Her name is Shonda Rhimes. Maybe you've heard of her. Successful TV producer, Grey's Anatomy, a million other things. And years ago, she said this thing to Fast Company that I just I really, really loved. Um, so I'm just going to read it to you. She wrote this. This is Shonda. She writes, my first year doing Grey's Anatomy, I would be at work at 10, 11 at night, and one of the executive producers, James Perriott, would go home at 6.30 or 7, and I would always look at him with such rage, and he'd say, Shonda, this work will always be there tomorrow. Now, I understand. You're never going to cut down the mountain to make it flat. It's always going to be a mountain. I try to focus on climbing this piece of the mountain and then think about climbing the rest of it later. That's what Shonda said. I love that. I, I love that. I first found that in a newsletter written by my friend Paul Kicks. He's a great writer. He had just launched a big new project and he wrote that the project has consumed my working hours. I haven't had time this week to research my forthcoming book. I haven't had time to advance other long-term projects. In the past, this would have freaked me out and I would have doubled down and ignored my family and worked until 2 a.m. every day to keep pace with all I want to accomplish. But, Paul said, then he kept Shonda's words in mind. I see what Shonda means, Paul wrote. I'm busier than ever and the mountain before me is actually a good thing. It means I'll always have work. But to attempt to climb it every night is to exhaust myself the next morning. Do that long enough, and I'll no longer be able to even face the mountain. I try to remember this. I do not always succeed, I will tell you. And this is me talking now, not Paul or Shonda. Because, of course, we can feel so focused on the mountain that we never stop trying to climb it. We seem to think that 
if we just worked harder, then we'll get it all done, that we'll feel better. But what if the mountain is just a part of the landscape? What if the mountain is just a part of our lives? What if we're always just going to have all this stuff to do? Well, then we cannot burn all of our energy every single moment of every day thinking that if we just somehow worked harder, we would be able to flatten the damn thing. We can't. The best thing that we can do is just do as much as we can while preserving energy for ourselves to do more tomorrow. That is the thing I try to remember. The mountain will always be there. So sometimes, step away from it. Here is the second way I have come to think about time. I think of time like a balloon. So, okay, what does that mean? Well, think about it like this. Oftentimes, people say, I would, I would do that new thing. I would try that if only I had the time. But, <laughs> you know, here's the thing. You will never have the time. Nobody ever has the time. What does that even mean? That like between two and four every Thursday, there's literally nothing on your calendar? No, it doesn't work like that. You will never, ever, ever look at your life and say, I just have time to fill. I have holes in my day. You know why? Because of this funny thing called Parkinson's law. So Parkinson's law states that work expands to fit the time allotted, which is to say that if you have a lot of time to do some work, then that work will take all of that time. If you have a smaller amount of time to do the work, then the work will take a smaller amount of time. Work expands to fit the time allotted. Parkinson's law. And that's true. I, I've just always found that to be true, that when I am crunched for time, I am more efficient. And when I'm not crunched for time, then things just kind of stretch on or I give everything an extra layer of overthinking, which wasn't maybe even all that necessary. So let us now agree that we will never just have the time. So how do we make the time? Well, like I said, we got to think of time like a balloon. What does that mean? Okay, consider this, and this is not a trick question. How do you get air into a balloon? Because <laughs> here's the thing. I'll tell you what you don't do. You do not expand the balloon to make room for the air. That is not how a balloon works, right? What you do is that you blow air into the balloon, and then the balloon expands. This is how time works as well. You don't make room for something in your day and then, like, do it. What you do instead is that time, just like a balloon, expands under pressure. You add pressure to it. You blow air into the balloon. The balloon gets larger. You add more things to your day, to your life, and your time will expand. How is that possible? Here's how. Because once you add new things, you are forced to reconsider how you're doing all the other things. That's the thing about it, right? So once I add something new that is of great value to me, like for example, this podcast, which is new, and I didn't have the time for it before, but it became a priority of mine to make, so I committed to it. I said, I will do this. And what did it do? It forced me to think very deeply about all the other things that I'm doing. And it forced me to say, well, some of those things over there, I think that I can do more efficiently. I'm doing this task. It's taking a while. Maybe now it's time to invest a little money in having someone help me with that. And then I'm doing this project over there, and I've been working on it for a few years, and it's been 
fulfilling in a way, but also I don't think that it's growing into something that's going to be a big moneymaker or anything. So maybe actually it's just time to put that one on hold, make a hard decision. You see what I'm doing? What I'm doing is that by adding something, I am forcing myself to start making decisions about how efficient and effective I can really be. And in doing that, my time expands because I'm stopping spending too much time on things that don't matter as much. And I am able to now start engaging with things that do matter. That is how time is like a balloon. It expands under pressure. Here's the third way to think about time. Don't think about time at all. Think about energy. This is something that I've been thinking a lot about since I had a recent conversation with a psychotherapist named Catherine Morgan Schaffler. She wrote a fantastic book. You should check it out. It's called The Perfectionist's Guide to Losing Control. And we talked about what she called reframing productivity. Because what she said is we often think of productivity simply as a matter of how to get the most done in a certain amount of time. But we also, she said, have to think about what we need to protect. And what we need to protect is energy. And that protecting our energy is a productive activity. No, you don't think of it like that. You don't think that protecting your energy is productive. Often you think of protecting your energy, which is to say, relax, <laughs> get a good amount of sleep, spend time with other people, take a walk. These feel in a way like not productive activities. These aren't the things that get work done. But she said, look, we need our energy in order to keep doing the work. And so work has to be not just about getting things done, but about making sure that we have what we need to continue to be able to get things done. And so I said to Catherine, <laughs> I said, you know, that makes sense. I I understand that. I, I feel that. I have definitely burnt myself out before. But what am I to do? What is someone to do if they hear that and they say, well, that's all well and good, but if I'm not charging hard, if I'm not working at maximum capacity to get all this stuff done, maybe I'm building something, maybe I'm trying to advance my career or whatever... Well, if that stuff doesn't get done, then I'm not I'm not succeeding. So what are you to say to someone who needs to do all these things? And yes, would like to preserve their energy, but if they step away, then the thing won't get done. What are you to say to someone who can't find that balance, but also for whom the work is required because there's increasingly so much for them to do? And what she said in response to that felt like a revelatory gut punch. <laughs> and so I want you to hear it. Here's what she said to me. I think the strategy is what's the point of building something? This might be a, a better question moment. What's the point of building something if you can't maintain it? What's the point of building something if you can't maintain it? I have to say, Catherine said that to me about a week ago, and I have repeated it to other people at least five or six times. And I repeat it to myself. What's the point of building something if you can't maintain it? Now, that's not to say that sometimes building something doesn't require a lot of work and maybe more work than you have energy. And that's fine. 
Catherine agrees that that's fine. I'm telling you that's fine. Sometimes we need to be in a sprint. Things need to happen. But the question is, are you on a path towards maintaining that thing? Are you building something that is ultimately going to allow you to rebalance yourself? Or are you building something that is unsustainable? And if it's unsustainable and you see that it is going to be unsustainable, then we really need to step back and start to think not just about the time and stretching the time and getting more things in, but rather about what do you need so that you have enough energy to keep going? And then how do you adjust the project or adjust your expectations to match it? I mean, this is maybe a big fancy way of talking about burnout. And my friend, the brain coach, Jim Quick, has a really nice line about burnout, which is that burnout isn't doing too much. It's doing too little of what you love. But I think that we need a fuller way of thinking about this. It's not just about the word burnout. It's about understanding what we really, really need and asking ourselves that incredibly important question. What's the point of building something if you can't maintain it? And finally, here's the fourth and final way today to think about maximizing your time. Make your meetings 24 or 37 or some other random amount of time minutes. Why? Well, here's why. This is a tip that comes from a guy named Steven Regelberg, author of a book called The Surprising Science of Meetings. He has a lot of great advice for making meetings more efficient, as you might imagine if you write a book like that. But my favorite was, he said, set meetings to last unexpected amounts of time. So for example, you make it 47 minutes or 33 or 12 or whatever, pick something. Why? Well, he cites something that I already talked about in this episode, Parkinson's Law, which of course is that work expands to fit the time allotted. He said, when we default to setting 30 or 60 minute meetings, we're thinking in traditional blocks of time and yet we're not actually thinking about how long it will take to get the work done. So if I am going to meet with someone to talk about something and 30 minutes is just the default, then I will have set aside 30 minutes. And then even though we didn't have 30 minutes worth of things to talk about, we will now talk about something for 30 minutes because we just defaulted to that time. So we run out the clock. That is a very bad way to manage time. What's a better way? Well, the non-traditional amounts of time, setting a meeting for 17 minutes, forces us to really use our time wisely and to think about exactly how much we can accomplish within a limited window. It makes us more efficient, and that saves us time because, come on, we do not need 60 minutes for that meeting. A solid 38.27 would have done just fine. So let's do that and get a little of our time back. Help Wanted is a production of Money News Network. Help Wanted is hosted by me, Jason Pfeiffer. And me, Nicole Lappin. Our executive producer is Morgan Lavoie. If you want some help, email our helpline at helpwanted at moneynewsnetwork.com for the chance to have some of your questions answered on the show. And follow us on Instagram at Money News and TikTok at Money News Network for exclusive content and to see our beautiful faces. Maybe a little dance? Oh, I didn't sign up for that. All right. Well, talk to you soon. 